Welcome to the Plutonomics Podcast with Lori Cammie and Barnaby Levin. The word Plutonomics means the study of wealth. It's our mission to educate, to help clients think about their goals and how they might benefit from working with an advisor to achieve them. But more importantly, it's to make sure our listeners understand both the pros and cons of any issue so they can make informed decisions and increase the odds of finding the right answer for them. You see, it's not who's right or wrong, but knowing there are no disinterested parties or unbiased opinions and that where you sit depends on where you stand. The challenge to making good decisions is to start by questioning one's assumptions and to break free of our prejudices because the truth usually lies somewhere in between. There are always two sides to every issue, both of which have merit. Last week, we highlighted two critical and perhaps unexpected consequences of demographics, at least when a generation as prominent as the baby boomers enters retirement. Yes, millennials boast even larger numbers, but from now until 2030, 10,000 boomers will reach retirement age every day. And with a median age of 60, their average savings is, unfortunately, only $112,000. Well, a third of them have no savings at all. Our point, while this may not apply to our clients themselves, is it will impact them because they're the ones who will have to deal with it. But we also promised at the end not to leave you hanging too long. So this week, while we meant and mean it is a wake-up call that this is something we can no longer afford to ignore, there are things we can do. And there are opportunities from which we, as investors, can benefit. To begin with, no matter how divided they might be on a wide range of issues, there are things Congress can and should be able to do in a bipartisan way if they have the will. They can start by immediately increasing the retirement age to 68 and before 2026, when Medicare Part A runs out of money, increase it to age 70. Many boomers already need to work well past than just to make ends meet, but others feel they still have more to offer and are becoming mentors and consultants, or they're starting new businesses. For those financially able, they're buying franchises and establishing lifetime income streams for them and their families. By deferring retirement, it would take the pressure off Social Security and Medicare and keep people on corporate payrolls and health care longer. In other words, instead of a stick, by taxing our companies more and eliminating their ability to expense capital investment as they do now, companies could shoulder part of the burden directly as a carrot. As you said, it would keep employees on the payroll and continue to cover their health care, which is a huge expense. But it would also mean they wouldn't need to tap their retirement plans as early, waiting, hopefully, until the mandatory age of 72, and thereby increasing both the potential value and how long their plans will last after they do retire. Also, for those public servants who do choose to retire early, like teachers, who can retire as early as age 52 and still receive lifetime benefits after only five years, we could invite them to continue serving and give us the benefit of their experience until they too reach age 68. Yes, there's already a reduction in benefits if they do so, but as things stand, most public pensions are still 
based on the person's most recent salary, which tends to be their high water mark, and therefore creates a huge burden on the system and the generations behind them. I forget who it was, but you recently mentioned a younger person who said, if I just knew when I was going to die, it would be so much easier. But just think, he said, you're at the pinnacle of your knowledge at age 65, and then what? It just stops? We couldn't agree more. Remember last week we mentioned how many elderly people already need a caregiver today and how this will only increase for years to come because of physical or mental infirmity and, after age 80, dementia. Living on their own, many simply won't be able to care for themselves. And yet, because many do own their homes, I know firsthand that most would prefer to live out their days living there with dignity rather than in some old folks' home surrounded by strangers who are sick and dying. What a wonderful career for younger boomers who are just retiring to become caregivers. In fact, there's already a program quite similar to that in Israel. It's called adopt a softa They're focused on caring for survivors of the Holocaust. Why not broaden that scope, whether to pay or on a voluntary basis? Boomers who are just retiring could be paired with people even more senior than them, who live alone or have no family at all, like young people do, who come to America to study and work as au pairs. They help to care for children while getting meals and a roof over their heads. They could adopt an elder. Already, retiring boomers are beginning to move to towns with mid and large size universities that offer courses for seniors sometimes in the same classroom as younger students. They find it stimulative, of course, because it gives them an opportunity to learn new things. So why not promote training in healthcare and therapy so they can be of assistance to the elderly when needed? do some chores like shopping while providing warmth and a connection in a family-like relationship. As Barnaby said, it would be such a wonderful way to earn money while solving other social challenges. Going back to social security and what a delay to age 69 or 70 would do for it in Medicare, people may not know when FDR signed social security into law in 1935, life expectancy was only 56 for men and 62 for women. And the same is true for LBJ in 1965, when Medicare began. Life expectancy then was still only 70. But in 2026, when Medicare Part A will run out of money, it'll be 85. So both programs were a bit of a hoax because they were never meant to pay out. And as a result, it looks like it's up to us to bite the bullet and take care of ourselves, no longer relying on the promise our government will do so. Even though we've paid into these programs our whole lives, we need to accept that all that withholding over the years is simply water under the bridge. And we must switch gears now. And like I said last time, manage the 1%, bending the curve a little at a time here and there so that when added together, it adds up. So that means planning, saving, working with an advisor well in advance of retirement, and having or developing a part-time gig or hobby that could become a second career when you retire. When it comes to investing, as you near retirement, begin adding dividend-paying stocks and companies that have a history of increasing their dividend every year so that they keep pace with inflation. Instead of bonds whose coupons are fixed to maturity, over time, continue to rebalance so you ultimately achieve a portfolio whose income stream covers all or most 
of the expenses you expect to have while reducing any discretionary costs you can, like your mortgage, so by the time you retire, you have no debt at all. Such a portfolio can, and from time to time will, decline in value, like most are doing right now. But with large cap stocks, global gorillas, with strong balance sheets and growing revenues themselves, the dividends will continue to support you throughout volatility. When it comes to sectors or industries, we've often highlighted technology in general. And in many of our podcasts, the convergence of robotics with artificial intelligence, which in my opinion is the greatest game changer of all. In healthcare, this includes companies innovating, for example, in laser and less invasive surgical devices, which, because they're less invasive, require little or no hospitalization, which is by far the largest cost in our healthcare system. Unfortunately, when it comes to eliminating all the waste for things like administration and record keeping, a lot of companies have tried and failed to tackle this over the years, from Jonathan Bush's Athena Healthcare which he founded in 1997 before he was fired by Elliott Management in 2018, to Allscripts, Epic, and Cerner. So far, none seem to have solved the puzzle, at least not to the point where the biggest providers have all been willing to commit and sign on, which is critical, so that the information can easily be shared in uniform fashion. So stay tuned. However, another area of great interest to us even though it may seem a little out of left field, is farming and farmland. Next week, in fact, we're devoting an entire podcast to this topic. But in the meantime, it's critical we continue to devote publicly and privately whatever resources and incentives it takes to increase the amount of land dedicated to raising crops and livestock and to technology to automate these processes because the average age of our farmers today is nearly 58 and neither the millennials nor the Gen Z seem inclined to take over this back-breaking dawn-to-dusk hours that their parents or grandparents endured. Well, maybe if it's all done by drones and automated irrigation with remote-controlled tractors so they could do it from anywhere in the world, from the comfort of their Airbnb, <laughs> maybe that'll make a difference. Anyway, to tell you the truth, I hope so, because it would be far better than them selling after their parents are gone to other countries, which they've been doing at an accelerating pace. As of 2019, foreign investors already owned more than 35 million of our acres, the largest share of which is Canada, followed by the Netherlands. But China's catching up fast. For example, they already bought our largest pork producer, Smithfield Foods, in 2013, and this represents an increasing risk both to national security and to our own food supply, which we experienced during the COVID lockdowns when we were faced with widespread shortages and, quote, supply chain disruptions. One final place in which to invest is in certain types of venture capital and nonprofit organizations, the latter which offer the potential to get at least a modest return on capital and the opportunity perhaps to coach and mentor younger generations and to help economically distressed areas around the world through things like micro-lending to entrepreneurial men and women who've demonstrated their commitment to repaying their loans in full. So this money can be repurposed and loaned out again and again. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed what you heard today. And if you did, that you'll share it with friends and family so they can enjoy it too. 
This is Barnaby Levin and Lori Cammie for the Plutonomics Podcast, signing off. LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth are a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, and advisory services through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and any investment opportunities referenced may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced are from sources believed to be reliable and any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Neither LK Wealth and Asset Management, LCK Wealth, or Hightower shall in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or for statements or errors contained in or admissions from the obtained data and information referenced. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced and such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. 